Hello and welcome to yet another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. This week we're absolutely delighted to welcome a special guest onto the show again as we expand the nature of our content. At the end of the day, we are not called A Wee Bit of Everything for nothing. As always, if you see it on Instagram at A Wee Bit of Everything Podcast or on Twitter at Burrow underscore Mister or at ClelandLewis94, we'd be really grateful if you could give us a wee share or a retweet, helping us to get the podcast out there so others can listen as well. So, what's coming up today for us, Mr. Burrell? This week on the podcast, we are joined by Maureen McKenna. Maureen is the Executive Director of Education for Glasgow City Council. Maureen began teaching in Grandpain at Dice Academy as a classroom teacher. Maureen progressed to Assistant Principal Teacher at Ellen Academy and then Principal Teacher of Maths at Kilsyth Academy. She then made a side move to Northfield Academy as Principal Teacher before accepting the role of assistant head teacher there. Maureen became involved with marking and setting with the SQA and worked with Her Majesty Inspection. She has assumed many leadership roles in education throughout her career, which we'll hear more about in detail shortly. We are both ready to get started with this one, so let's get cracking. Right, thanks for joining the wee bit of everything, Maureen. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Um, so we'll get started then. Number one, then um, diving right into it then, can you tell us and the listeners a little background information on your career to date? Okay, so um, I'm a maths teacher. Um, I started my teaching up in the former Grampian region because at that time in the early 80s there weren't that many jobs going in Strathclyde. So I went up to Aberdeen to work um, and I worked in three different schools up there. And then I came down in the in 1990 to Kilsyth Academy, um, and I was principal teacher of maths there. Then I was assistant head in that school, and then from there I joined HMI, and I was in HMI for seven years. Loved it, great job, um, and uh, I did lots of different jobs in in schools inspecting, child protection inspections, authorities. Was a district inspector. I was the national specialist for maths, and then in December 2007, I became director in Glasgow, and I'm still there. Fantastic. Um, so, myself and Lewis are always the PE teachers. What's your, what's your experience been of the kind of physical education curriculum over the years? Oh, well, you see, see, I think I'm a bit of a frustrated PE teacher. So, <laughs> when I um, started uh, teaching, because I was going up to Aberdeen, um, I decided to qualify as a basketball referee, um, a wee bit vertically challenged, um, so I wasn't that hot as a player. Um, I have two brothers who are six foot four, um, and uh, my older brother is a superb player, and he played um, for Team Solright, which was a kind of a semi-professional thing at that time. But uh, I went into the refereeing, and the, and the refereeing really worked for me. So all through my teaching, I coached basketball I always had teams um, wherever I went uh, and I worked my way up um, the refereeing and became one of the first women to become an international referee so oh, yeah. I refereed um, all over Europe and did all the internationals and that kind of thing yeah it's great it's great basketball has been really really good to me and that's how I know Tony McDade oh. all right okay yeah yeah we had them on a few weeks ago um, he's a basketball coach as well, isn't he? Oh, he was a yeah. super player too. So he played, um, he was a Scotland international player and he played for Glasgow City. And I remember him as a, a young Scotland junior, but it was um, he was a, an excellent guard uh, yeah. for Glasgow City. Do you still play? Or do you still ref and stuff just now? Referee? Or a no. coach? Um, when I, uh, well, I can't say that because Tony still coaches. Um, but I have three children, too, who are now in their 20s. And um, so I stopped. I was refereeing in Europe um, and I did games all over Europe, but I kept having babies. So uh, I would have to leave um, all the clothes behind and it just became a huge amount of work. And, and, and whilst the refereeing was, I mean, it was brilliant to, to referee in Europe, um, you're traveling on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not all. It's really kind of kept up to be. So you travel alone. I mean, I, I refereed in Sicily in Women's European Cup um, in a part of Sicily that looks remarkably like Grangemouth. 
Right. Um, and, and then, I, you know, I did a game there and then I flew in a small plane up to um, uh, Milan and I was picked up and it was on, uh, on the, the lake, on Lake Garda there. I arrived in the dark. I went to do my game and because um, even in Europe, well, in fact, it was worse in Europe, for a woman to turn up to the game, they would all stand around and go, oh, well, this is not what we expected. Um, so I would get changed in like the ladies' toilets or the cleaners' cupboard. That was one in a European venue. I was given the cleaners' cupboard um, to get changed in because they only ever had one room for the referees and they just expected two men to pitch up. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I mean, it was great. It was great while it lasted, but um, it was a bit of a drag. What, what was the standard like compared to Scotland? I know Europe's oh. pretty big in basketball. Was it is that a lot better or? Oh, way better. Is it? <laughs> yeah. When I qualified, I qualified in um, nineteen eighty nine, um, and uh, or no, early nineteen ninety. Actually, I qualified, and it was the first time they'd ever had two women along uh, as referees. And I refereed um, uh, the Russian national team, the men's Russian national team. And these guys just looked bemused at, at me and, and an Irish girl. I mean, I came up to about their waist. And there was a guy there that had the biggest wingspan I have ever seen in my life. He was huge. Yeah. And they put him out at the point. And he just had this, that's all you saw was this wingspan. The arms. Uh, just kind of get by him. It was awesome. And then, you know, they just looked at the two of us as two women and thought, whoa. Um, but I mean, there was, the women didn't referee in Scotland either at that time. So there was quite a lot of snash I took mm -hmm. um, for pitching up at games. But, yeah. and would, you say, would you say the higher the standard of play, uh, was it harder to referee or was it easier as the standard got higher? No, much easier. Yeah. Much easier because you guys know um, from the PE that uh, quite often as um, people who who are playing a sport, their heads aren't really attached to the rest of the body. So while their head might think they are doing this fabulous move to the basket, actually their body isn't. Mm -hmm. So it's really only in their head that they are swerving between the players when actually they're wiping everybody out mm -hmm. and, and double dribbling and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, no. And, and at that time, um, there was a really active American base. Uh, so there was a, an US base in Edsel and there was a US base down at Dunoon and, and they played fabulous basketball, fabulous. When I did a jump ball, um, there was a guy there who kicked my ear. That's where his foot was. <laughs> wow. with, straight, with straight legs? Yeah, just wow. straight up. He had the biggest standing jump I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's a hard game, basketball. Like, physically very tough. I remember it at school, like up and down the gym hall. I used to love it, though. It was really yeah, enjoyable. I think it's a great game, but it is. And, and, and um, I loved it for the kind of the discipline mm -hmm. of it. Because and, and also because the, the, the guys had to be polite. You know, they had to be, that was part of the game. You have to be kind of well-mannered. And the higher up in the standard, the more well-mannered they were. But, uh, the very first game I did in Aberdeen, I was uh, 22 years old and I went out uh, on the American school and it was Robert Gordon's former pupils, the university and some other Mincy team in the Aberdeen local league, right? And I went out and I'm there in my wee uniform and my whistle, my Fox 40. And I pitched out and the, the guy came across to me and he said, no, no, you, you can't referee. And I said, well, I'm here, got all my kit, I'm looking good. And he said, no, 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 women don't referee here. Out. So, really? Wow. Yeah, good one. That's your first, that's your warning. I said, the next one will be a technical and you'll be out the hall. And he went, that's all I had for years, years of dog. I used to say, does yeah. your man not get any ironing for you? Wow. And it was incredible. And they even went off was, to you for doing that, like. 
and uh, uh, even when I was, but it's, it was a different era. Yeah. It's a different era where mm -hmm. women, one of the, the best, I used to referee with um, a chap from Edsel, an American, and uh, he was black. And so you can imagine a black American and a white woman. So refereeing a game, it didn't matter what Jimmy called, he was a hero. It didn't matter what I called, it was always rubbish. Mm -hmm. And we did a game where a um, big American player and he traveled right along the baseline and did the most magnificent dunk ever. And I, he was right there and I got all the abuse for it. And I said to him at halftime, I said, but I mean, that was a huge travel. Why did, why did you not call it? He said, the crowd wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> so the crowd. Correct. Black American, white woman, have no chance. Uh, exactly. The crowd must influence it. Did the crowd ever influence your decisions, like subconsciously, do you think? Um, yeah. Are, I you, think are you allowed to say? Yes. Yeah, I think they yeah. did. You would, you would zone them out. Yeah. Um, and that, that was another bit that I liked. I mean, I couldn't do football. I couldn't do football right Yeah. It's so personal. So mm -hmm. personal. The abuse. Especially in Glasgow or Scotland, certainly. It was, it was yeah. a tough there job. Was, there was a stat or something. I think it was my dad that was telling me that... Um, they'd done like a study on like referees just now with there being no fans and apparently there's been like a lot less decisions made overall. I don't know how true that is because uh, it'd, be, it'd be actually a bit interesting to see what the what the mm -hmm. difference has if, it's, if there's been a proper study on it. You can it. see in football games when the crowd is so close and the atmosphere is so, they, they create yeah. all the atmosphere and uh -huh. the, you know, the abuse that comes. Uh, do you know, is I mean, I did a game down at Troon once with a guy and he started and I don't know, I must have not been in a very good mood. Um, and between the crowd and him, Tommy Campbell, who was an excellent coach. I mean, he was out in, in eight minutes. It was kind of one of my world records. He was out the hall. Mm -hmm. um, but you can do that in basketball. It's a bit like rugby. You know, there's much more about your conduct and how you how you... Uh, comport yourself but in football they just allow abuse which yeah. gives the so if they allow the abuse on the court then the abuse is allowed you know yeah. it's a permissive society societal thing isn't it yeah, yeah. i think that's the rest are only human it's going to affect their performance isn't it well of course it is of course it is and i mean i, I cannot tell a lie i have let calls go to watch somebody who's really got up my nose get flattened Mm -hmm. I have let that go. Um, there was a <laughs> there was um, a guy who used to play with um, Tony McDade, and and he was about uh, six eleven, and he was huge. I mean, huge bottom, right? Huge big weird guy, and uh, a guy called Bobby Archibald who was an excellent player, and he kept going up and he was tugging him and tugging him and all kinds of dirty stuff going on. So Craig. And one of them just let himself go and he landed on him. And I mean, and Bobby was like, he was like a pancake, you know, it was like one of those Tom and Jerry cartoons. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> floating down. And I was like, play on, play on. No <laughs> <laughs> call. You've, you've got to let the game flow. No <laughs> call. Play the whistle. Play the whistle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, Maureen, to moving on to the more serious stuff yes. then. Um, what can teachers or school leaders learn from lockdown to maintain, you know, that a strong, positive uh, school culture aimed at improving educational outcomes for our young people? I'm not sure there's a huge amount to learn, um, actually, from lockdown. I think it was a, a really traumatic time for us all because it was so unknown, wasn't it? You know, it's so hard for teachers to keep themselves going out of school um, for, for, for young people, it, was, it, it must have been excruciatingly difficult. And I know in Glasgow, um, for many of our young people from the backgrounds that they come from and the kind of housing, it was really, really tough times for them to keep learning and to be able to kind of keep on task. And I think that was exactly the same for teachers. I think what has come out is, is the importance of resilience um, that we all need to be resilient. And the longer um, that this goes on for, uh, the more resilient that we need. And, and the other bit is, I suppose, is, is for us to focus on the power of education. 
mm -hmm. um, education is, is just so important um, for our children and young people. And I, I came to Glasgow because there's high levels of poverty and because I thought that the city could do loads more for its children and young people um, through education. It is the way to reduce the, it's the only way to reduce the impact of poverty on children's lives and to improve public health is, is through education. And so I think, I think what it's shown us is that we need our schools open. And I know they're tough places um, to be in just now, but we absolutely need our schools open and we need our young people to continue to get educated. And we need to fix the PE for you guys, mm -hmm. because um, I am asking uh, repeatedly about when are they going to uh, alter the guidance on yeah. the delivery. For, for indoors to allow us because I especially don't, with the winter coming in i don't get why it all has to be outdoors because if you've got a full-size games hall and you put 30 kids in it and you open the exits if you like to get some yeah. ventilation in what's the difference yeah exactly what is the difference well no, the thing is we're spending the first 10 minutes at the start of the lesson registering them in the games hall anyway and they're all standing but, uh, you know, so. But I just, I, don't, I just don't get what the difference is in terms of delivery because it's a it's an indoor virus. Um, it's an indoor virus in crowded areas. Um, there's not evidence. There's not huge evidence um, of it transmitting child to child. Of course, there is some. Of course, there is. But we've not got. You know, the outbreaks that we've got in schools, the cases that are coming up, are individual and they're almost all from the community. And there's a little, there's a couple of tiny examples of in-school transmission. But, I mean, look at the students. The students are a brilliant example, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Look at them all. Put 18-year-olds together and socialise and whoosh, it goes right through them. Yeah. But we're not seeing that in school settings. So... I just the, the pee thing is really bugging me just now. Yeah, I think we've, we've got this hand sanitizer, we've got the sanitising right as well, and the hygiene's you know been stepped up, so that will help um, yeah. as well. You know, before they go in the games hall, so I yeah, think that I mean, should be enough. It's, it's it's hand washing. The hand sanitizer I'm a wee bit spooked about because mm. it's high alcohol content. It hacks your skin if you use mm -hmm. it a lot, and it's a it's a um, it's an accelerant for fire. You've yeah, got that's to have true, it. actually. Yeah, yeah, 60%, minimum 60% alcohol. You can have a wee drink of it too, apparently. So I'm <laughs> Made by whiskey. <laughs> Johnny Walker hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, it's pure yeah. alcohol that comes yeah. from the distilleries. Yeah. It's used to make it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it, is, it is. So hand washing soap and water is actually... I think just putting constant layers of hand sanitizer on your hands, it just builds up a big disgusting film all over your hands as well. It's not the... It's a film, but it's also... Um, I think the hand sanitizer lulls you in because you, you, you're you not as thorough with yeah. the hand sanitizer as you are with soap and water. Mm -hmm. um, you're, we're all really good now at doing all that and scrubbing yeah. away. Singing the happy birthday song. Correct. But with hand <laughs> twice, sanitizer... Twice, remember. Uh, twice. <laughs> With hand sanitizer, we just tend to kind of squish a wee bit on yeah. and later on. I don't I don't like it. it's horrible. Yeah, anyway. me too. But I think I think resilience and the power of education is absolutely what we need to hang on to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've all adapted really well to the to the situation considering how this the sheer scale of it. Um that's what a few of the guests have been saying as well. I think if you had to say to us before March that this was going to happen, you'd have said we're never going to get through this, but it's amazing what can happen when you're actually physically forced to change. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's still lots for us to learn. Um, I think that's the actually the next question, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Go <laughs> with the next one. Right. Okay then. So <laughs> the, <laughs> we'll pretend we we'll pretend we've, we've not asked it then. So the current reality we find ourselves in, Maureen, is very different from kind of years gone by. What makes this year so different, in your opinion, from an operational standpoint for schools across the country? And I guess, how can we as teachers or a profession ensure kind of high quality teaching remains at that high standard? And I think that's where, where we need to think differently. Um, 
today, actually, I was online um, because we need to think much more about that flipped learning approach that and moving um, teachers to believe that not all learning takes place in classrooms that actually children can learn in different ways. So you don't have to be in school to be learning, but online learning um, is, is really challenging. It's not the same skill set. So this summer, um, I was so fed up with lockdown and um, discussions, negotiations, health and safety. Honestly, I was like losing my way. Um, so I volunteered and I did some teaching at one of our secondary schools and um, through the summer I taught higher maths to a group of kids and I didn't do the online, I did the in school. Um, and what I wanted to see was and talk to the young people about was that balance between online learning versus in school learning. And, and so the, the teacher that I shared the class with, she did it all via Teams and I did it in the classroom. And they, what the young people said is they, they liked both. They needed both. So you could teach some of our senior pupils at home and you are in school or the teacher is in their home. Um, and that can be for part of the week and for the other part of the week that you're in school. Or it can be that the young people are assigned tasks. So you, you tape we're doing it across the West partnership where you tape a lesson and that lesson sits up online and you direct your young people to go and see that lesson if it's on polynomials or on, on an aspect of analysis in PE um, and that lesson has been taped and then you maybe have an interaction with a small group of pupils where you discuss what they saw what they learnt. And today I was looking up, I found um, a, a website that was like master classes on online learning and digital learning and the pedagogy that, that's uh, involved in that. And you know, they were saying it's about facilitation, it's not about chalk and talk, and that you have to understand that it's really hard to concentrate for any length of time. And um, so you really want to do bite-size learning. So if you're doing that, it's maybe only 20 minutes that you engage, then you get the young people away to do some work. So maybe that's what we should be doing for our older pupils. When, when um, during lockdown and we looked at what we were going to be doing in Glasgow, once the schools came back in August, we stripped out um, loads of professional learning because what we needed to do was to give people headspace to be able to get their way around this kind of new normal, the new way of working. And we also knew that there would be cases cropping up and children would be going home, staff would be going home. So we didn't want to set up our usual massive program of professional learning to put extra pressure on staff. Um, but the two priorities that we've stayed with are digital learning and leadership, because those are the two things that we absolutely need to focus on. Everybody needs to, that leadership, that individual leadership for your classes, but also to be able to dig deep for your resilience, to be able to keep going as this looks like it's stretching out further and further. And how are we going to cope when we find out about the SQA exams? You know, that's still a huge question mark for us that we don't know what the hires and the national fives are going to be like. So we don't want to be testing kids. I mean, already young people are saying to me, every time I go into school, the teacher's giving me another bit of assessment because teachers are so nervous about the next lot of teacher estimates. So we need to, to kind of take a step back and we're starting to do that in the city to talk to staff about different ways of learning. So today I tweeted out, you know, try and look at these master classes and get your head around a different way of teaching. And I think for some um, older staff, you know, me, if I was still in the classroom, um, yeah, it would be a bit of a thought about how you do that. And does everybody have the right IT and the right skills to do it? So I think that, that we need to be, think differently. We need to be flexible. 
um, and agile in how we respond and keep really open minds um, about where and when uh, we deliver teaching and how children learn and understand that this is quite, quite different now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you made about making them like how they preferred to do like a bit of blended learning and a bit of in-school learning. I think just now, in my opinion is I think the focus should be is trying to get the, the pupils as familiar with Microsoft Teams, Google Classroom, get them into using that like routinely like for homework tasks and things like that so that everybody's on it, everyone's totally familiar with it in case we have to go back and do that kind of thing again. I agree and I, you know, I'm already starting to say well you should be practicing it as part of your ordinary learning so not waiting for the group of young people to end up being self-isolated or for you to be self-isolated mm. because there's been a case in your school but actually saying well if my class is is my PE hire is first thing in the morning well don't come in first thing in the morning yeah let's do it online and let's practice doing it online and here's mm -hmm. how I'm going to do it um, and and so that it becomes normal it's yeah absolutely that's a good point so it, it doesn't so it means then that if you get the phone call that says you've been named as a contact you have to go home for 14 days well that's okay because i've got it all sussed yeah exactly is that what glasgow's doing just now then to an extent or that's what we're starting for yeah i think that's a great idea yeah yeah, yeah like that's that. what we're starting mm. to push and you know we because we're such a big city we've got cases you know popping up all over the place um, but the teachers are now into a, a routine when it happens. They use, because we did the big, the iPads, we've accelerated um, the iPads being issued. And in the, so in the secondary schools, everybody gets one. Um, and in the primary schools, P7 get an individual one and P1 to P6, it's class sets. But if a class has to go home for 14 days, then they could take an iPad home with them. Yeah. But you could practice where you're in school and, and, you know, somebody goes to the library and leads it from there. Young people mm. lead the learning from different parts of the school. So I, I do think we need to practice. And that's what we're starting to do now in the city. Yeah, definitely. I think also having the face to face and explaining to them what's going to happen um, is better. And then going back away and practicing it, whereas we were kind of caught off guard a little bit the first time. And they had to try and transition straight away and then the engagement levels were quite low and stuff like that so i think it's about yeah practicing like you're saying going over it with the kids and then correct and now yeah. i mean it is only 14 days so it's completely it's not like lockdown mm -hmm. if you're self-isolating it's 14 days then you're back at school yeah um so it's it's about chunking that learning but keeping the flow of the learning going yeah. because my worry is that it's it's so disrupted mm -hmm. um, that that's it interrupts the, the young people and then they start to get stressed and worry about what they're missing and the teachers start to get stressed too because they're you know we're, we're running behind our time scales and that kind of thing it, yeah. it, it is tough and that's why i think we need to move to that as kind of part and parcel of what we do can agree more yeah i, th I, th I think digital learning just got a massive part to play now and i think the the kids and certainly my class have transitioned really well. Um, you know, they're they're used to being on on kind of digital learning platforms anyway, as it is, and it, it gives us the chance to have the, the task being put on there and using that as part of evidence moving forward. If we did, then yeah. have to get into another lockdown. So it's good Absolutely. practice. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that we we don't. I mean, I think I think the schools closing down has such an impact on the whole country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you got a feeling that it might <clears throat> happen in the two weeks that's been kind of spoke about during the October week? Can I? No. No. I don't think, I don't think they will. It's a, it's a mammoth decision to close down schools. Totally. And, that's and, the first time they've ever done it, isn't it? Yeah, they've never. And, and, you know, legally, I mean, there's legislation has to be involved in it. It's not just a straight yeah. stand yeah. up. I mean, the directors lobbied about the fact that the government hadn't made had made the decision as an emergency and we all went with it but there is legislation that governs the closure of schools yeah. that, that yeah, couldn't so. be followed at that time just because of the emergency situation mm -hmm. so yeah mm. no. 
huge. Well, the whole world, the whole world stopped, didn't it? Well, absolutely. Yeah. I don't envy the people making those decisions. I tell you that. No. Sorry. <laughs> I, well, I don't think any of the decisions no. that, that people are making are the right ones because it's such unknown territory. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, it's, it's, it's hard going. But yep, at the end of the day, I come back to it's the power of education. And my child, your child, only gets one chance at first year, only gets one chance at second year. So we need to make it a good one. Mm-hmm, definitely. Right, Maureen, so you kind of alluded to um, some of the answers and my next question that I'm going to ask you, which was about kind of strategies that teachers can take away with them and implement into their schools to um, improve the quality of learning and well-being for the young people. I know you kind of spoke about the flipped learning and... Um, practicing doing some learning from home and things like that but have you got any other strategies that you would kind of you think would be beneficial for, for teachers at the moment? I think I think the the whole well-being agenda um, is a really important one and I think that it's about structure and routine for our young people uh, and being consistent so my experience um, with young people over many many years is that's what they respond best to so I would have kids in my maths class who would be sitting there screwing their face up and saying, you're a horrible person. And I would say, yes, but you know where you stand with me. Mm-hmm. So you know where my line is. And they would go, oh, hi, hi, okay, okay. <laughs> um, and that's what young people respond best to, to yeah. routine and structure. And I think now that we've been back at school now for um, nearly six weeks, that now we need to up the ante and get right back into, so we've done our, this is our recovery curriculum. Now we need to move into um, a post recovery. And this is about going into the learning and raising our expectations of what we expect from our yeah. children and young people, because mm-hmm. life is, it's, you know, it's pretty miserable for everybody. You know, I, I know adults who are incredibly resilient um, who do, you know, brilliant jobs, but just are talking just now about how miserable their life is. Um, when actually we need to get our heads up, we need to get our heads up and we need to um, keep that optimistic outlook um, for our young people. I mean, I've mm-hmm. never, I, I love my work, um, but I have never uh, felt so yuck about yeah. my work mm-hmm. uh, because it is so different and I'm not seeing the end point you know if I had a date in my head where mm-hmm. the end point was I could say yeah yeah that's okay I can aim for that I can pitch for that and then measure out what I need to do but and every day we are dealing with um the kind of the kind of routine stuff how to keep the schools open, answering, this is for me, how to keep schools open, answering elected member inquiries, um, keeping people back, keeping the media back, um, focusing on health and safety, keeping people safe. I'm not doing learning and teaching. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing how to bring about improvement. Um, And so I keep coming back to that um, with my heads of service to say, so we're in the, in the process of writing advice that will go to the West Partnership about how you take forward learning when there's a localised closure. And that's a bit of that um, a digital learning and, and looking at different pedagogies um, that's involved with online learning. Because we need to keep our heads up. And the other bit we need to think about is what if this changes for the next two years? I'm not saying it's exactly like this, but how long is it going to take us to come out of this? So this is not a six weeks fix. Mm -hmm. It's not a six month fix. I think it's two, three, four years before we will truly come out of this and be back to what we might previously have called normal. Mm -hmm. So what will that mean for our learning and teaching and for the young people that are going through the system? Will I still be, what will it mean for higher PE, for National 5 PE? Is there something I could change in how I deliver PE 
in order to make it more attractive to young people, more accessible to young people? How do you deliver core PE if you're always out in the rain? Mm -hmm. It's just not, so I just think we need to um, get our chins up, look to the horizon and think, get back to big picture. So big picture discussions about how we take forward my class, my PE department, yeah. and then my contribution to the school. Because when I was in school, um, I loved taking my basketball clubs. I loved um, the end of year concerts. Um, I used to work with the PE department at Kilsyth Academy and we would put on the, the school shows um, for not not like Sound of Music, because that's not really my scene, but um, for like the staff talent competition. You know the ones where you, it's like the last day of term and to keep your attendance figures up, you put on some ridiculous staff show that all the kids pitch in for. So instead of, so there's 800 and there's 800 in the school role and we would have 700 coming for the last day before Christmas because we had a staff talent show. Um, where you got the ladies from the ladies' staff room to dress up in ridiculous outfits and <laughs> sing and dance. And that stuff is not there anymore. Yeah. You can't do that. I just think that's awful. I think oh, the, thing, the thing, I'm oh, sorry, you go, Liz. I was just going to say, I think that just brings about like a, a whole lightheartedness about like sometimes schools are a very stressful place and like tensions can get high and stuff like that. But I think those events bring about ah. that like a sense of community and they just kind of lift everyone's spirits almost and of course they do school just... is way more than yeah. just exams mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. way more absolutely. and so yeah. we think how, how can we deliver that differently mm. so duke of edinburgh the mark scott leadership program how can we deliver those things you we've still got our outdoor center at Blair Vadich and mm -hmm. we can't offer residentials but we can do one day using the parks and we've got the Pinkston water basin so we are we are very lucky that way but that needs to be built in and if people are scared because of contacts and various things how do we make that experience the really best for our young people and that's where we need to get our heads up and start thinking slightly differently. Because you can do that, you can kind of survive without those things for a few months. Mm -hmm. But two to three years, yeah. that's, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a lifetime. Absolutely. And we need all those different activities. So get your chins up and look to the horizon and see how we can do things differently. Love it. Yeah, I definitely think you're spot on there. But just thinking maybe thinking bigger picture and maybe changing how we deliver the courses as well, maybe just that was a wee bit differently. Because I think back to last year, like I was organising a football trip to Real Madrid Youth Academy. I was taking trips down south to football games, taking my football team. These are all the things that I love doing. I can't do any of that this year. Okay. Uh, the things over and above your, your, your teaching and learning. But as you say, it gives us, it gives us we just need to maximise our time and maybe focus on, focus on that flip learning approach and just... It's a little cliche, isn't it? It's like take it. We just need to take it a day at a time, I suppose, and don't get now, ourselves too down. Don't take it a day at a time. You need to look forward. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying you need to get your head up and look to the horizon, because the problem just now is that's all we're doing is surviving a day at a time, isn't it? Yeah. And that's why we're miserable, because we're missing mm -hmm. the football trips and the and we're we, we're thinking of all the things we can't do. So can we flip that and have a think about what is it we could do differently? Is there a way that, I mean, one day football will be back, but is that really what we want? Could we do something different um, that will spark our young people? And, and what leadership opportunities will there be for them? And um, Because they need more than just coming along to it. Fantastic as your lessons are, I am sure. Um, there is just so much more to coming to school than going to maths and going to PE. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So let's think how we can deliver differently. That's great advice, Maureen. Um, so I know you were speaking about, you know, all the health and safety meetings that you're going to and stuff like that. So like, if we could remove all the barriers and constraints from education just now, what's, what's one project you would love to see being worked on or something that's maybe 
on the horizon in March before all this happens. Yeah. So um, I don't like projects or pilots. When I came to Glasgow, it was uh, full of pilots, pilot projects. I used to say there were more pilots than Bomber Harrison, um, <laughs> and they never went anywhere. So they were just a pilot. There was somebody's wee wheeze, and it lasted for a year or maybe two years, and then it just evaporated. Um, to really make a difference to young people, you need to fo you need to get your core business right. So you need to know what your core business is, and and our core business, <coughs> our shared core business is is learning and teaching, and and giving young people the best learning experience possible. So don't I don't want any fancy Nancy wee projects. Um, I want our core business to be the best ever. Um, and it is, you know, I hate all these acronyms, but it is about getting it right for each and every child. And in Glasgow, we do a lot of nurture, and it's not, it's not about, it's not about being soft and fluffy and being nice to children. It's, it's about understanding um, their emotional and their social skills and having them ready to be able to contribute to civic society. And so, understanding that we have a much greater purpose. Um, which is about getting young people ready to be the next generation, to be the next leaders, to be the next families, to be the next communities in a village or in a town or wherever it is that they happen to be or the next set of streets. And that school plays that massive role in that. But you can only get that right if your core business is right. And too often, people's eyes get taken away with the fancy projects mm -hmm. and they get all caught up in the fancy Nancy stuff or the frill. Um, and it, it is just bring it right back to, to your core business. Um, in the city, um, our staff have done amazing work in the last 10 years and um, our exclusions were at a ridiculous level. And now I get invited down to speak to London, to speak to various places. I work with violence reduction units down there because um, we don't have any permanent exclusions and our exclusions since 2007 have reduced now by 88%. Wow. Um, well done. Youth crime, it wasn't me, um, <laughs> youth crime in the city um, has reduced by 50%. So that's the wider purpose that schools have and that's about respecting young people that's about including them all in all your classes and, and understanding that if a young person comes into your face and tells you to f off the first thing you should be asking is what did i do mm. what did i do that caused that young person to flip like that where did that young person come from in the morning do I know what their experiences were like before they came into my school so that when I stepped forward, maybe I should have just stepped back? Mm -hmm. So I had a case with a, in one of our schools where a young man, and he, he had been really aggressive with teachers and the teacher who might have been a PE teacher um, stepped forward into that young man's space and caused more um, aggravation than if he'd taken a step back. So de-escalation mm -hmm. um, is sometimes mm -hmm. much better. So we do a whole load of nurture that underpins all our work. And, and actually that's now our core business. So high quality learning and teaching, caring, because if they're not in school, they can't be learning. It's dead easy as a teacher. I did it. Just get them out. Mm -hmm. Just get them out. If they're not prepared to behave, get them out. But what are you sending them home to? I know when I think back now, I'm kind of embarrassed about some of the kids. I know they had some pretty rotten lives. That exclusion for me was it was it was just easy, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just a path of least resistance, isn't it? Yeah, yep. it's very easy. They're not in your class, so hey ho, life goes on. But actually. That young man who, who had squared up to the teacher, we did move him school. We moved him temporarily school because we needed a cooling off period and he just overstepped his mark. But his family background, when you looked at it, was, you know, dad in prison, 
adverse childhood experiences. I mean, tortuous stuff. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand our young people and then use our core business to show them, I come back to my power of education, is that education changes lives, changes lives and open doors. And it's our responsibility to make sure we do that for every child, regardless Mm -hmm. of how they pitch up in your classroom. Everyone needs to get, has that right to education. So yeah, get your core business right. So Maureen, then, if the core business of any school then is pupil learning, what's one thing that you wish you could change maybe about the education system in Scotland, Um, if anything? I would have uh, fewer external exams. Um, I think that we over-examine young people. So in in Scotland, you um, sit exams in fourth year. And then um, just for good measure, you sit them again in fifth year. And then if you're really unlucky, you come back for sixth year and you sit another set. I mean, who the hell does that? That was Lewis. I left after fourth year. <laughs> <laughs> I left after fifth year. I hated school. I absolutely hated it. Didn't do anything for I, me. I never, I never left with much, to be fair. I, had, um, <laughs> I get three, three higher Cs, so. That's okay. School didn't float didn't, my boat at all. Didn't, didn't That's why I hated to be a teacher. Because I knew it had to be different. I mm. knew that the way I was taught couldn't possibody be the right way. It was just some <laughs> turgid. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's why I became a teacher. So I, I, I do think that, um, that I would have fewer exams. And it is, it is coming in in bits and bobs. And we might have um, flushed with the excess of teacher estimates this year. Whoa, have we all raised attainment, eh? Yeah, uh, uh, well, yeah. extra attainments way up and five. Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> top of the table. <laughs> do you think? Mm-hmm. And, and do, you think this, do you think the coronavirus might, you know, help this this change in for yourself, like less examination? Well, do you think this, you know, causes uncertainty around it? I always think you have to take the positives. Um, mm. So much as my life is pretty miserable just now, um, there has to be something good comes out of it. So. So we do need to take the positives. So the positives are digital learning. What we have done since March in digital learning in normal times would have taken 10 years for teachers to change. They are this, you know, we are, we as teachers are the slowest creatures in the world to change. Um, our curriculum doesn't really change. It takes years, you know, curriculum for excellence has been around for about 14 years and they're still whining about it. Um, the exam system, I think we need, we need to take a long, hard look at the exam system because I don't think it's meeting young people's needs. I think colleges do, um, HNCs and HNDs are internally assessed and then there's a graded unit at the end of it yeah. and everybody thinks, whoa, well done, you got an HNC or well done, you got an HND. In, in schools, everybody slags off each other, teachers slag off each other and say it needs to be an external assessment before it's valid and reliable. Why? What's the difference between what a teacher does and what a college lecturer does? Yeah. So why why are we so hung up in Scotland on external exams again Mm -hmm. and again and again? So yeah, Mm -hmm. I I do think that there's an opportunity for us um, and the Mark Priestley report um, will help with that to take a long hard look at the exam system and take the positives out of it and we need to absolutely accelerate that digital learning to get a more consistent offer out to our young people. See with regards to the, the external exams is there any other countries I know like Finland's education system or Scandinavia like their kind of education system is always kind of getting praised for various reasons but is there any other school systems that do that they, they don't have external exams or is that... And most of the European countries don't have. Oh, do they not? Don't have in the way oh. that, that, that we do. Yeah. That we, they don't. Um, and, and interestingly, in the, the Scandinavian, Finland is, um, is always revered, isn't it? And they always do well. But if you look at the um, health data for Finnish school leavers, it's incredibly poor. And they have high levels of um, alcohol uh, difficulties in 16 to 20 year olds um, 
So it's not all. It, it's not all. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Sweden, I've been to Sweden twice um, to talk to them about a Scottish system um, uh, to do work with them because they, they were in a terrible state. They plummeted in terms of PISA and their uh, exam system was all a mess. But they are interesting. Their way of managing um, COVID has been exceptionally uh, better mm -hmm. uh, in terms of psychologically yeah. than how the UK have managed it. It's amazing how we don't learn from these. There's some interesting yeah. stuff. Why, why we don't take that those lessons from other countries that have succeeded and I don't is it because we, we had that conversation didn't we Clark you were saying there's something to do with like demographics and things like that with which was to do with like the spread of the virus but in terms of like the psychological um aspect of all you're speaking about I don't know why we can't implement the, the there's, lessons from there's something I'm slightly concerned just that the UK is the UK as a whole is moving down in a punishment it's criminal justice yeah. route so you get fined, you're not allowed to do this. You know, it's, it's, and Nicola Sturgeon's doing her best to move from that and to do the, we're all in this together, mm -hmm. so that we can look after each other. Yeah. But I, I do think there's a, there's a difficulty with the long-term view. If, if you could see an end point to it, if you mm -hmm. could see there's a vaccine definitely going to work in six months yeah you would say yeah. that's okay. i can hack this i mean i still got my mum my mum is a uh, 86 and uh, uh, my dad uh, died two years ago and she plays badminton twice a week down at wow. scotston right and that has not been there for that whole length of time but that's her social life yeah so it's her social life and she also she does sewing and things too. She does she's a very busy person. <laughs> but um that element of her social life has gone. And then we weren't supposed to go into her house um, to visit her. And it's the same now. My brothers and I aren't supposed to go in to be close to her, but she's 86 years old. What's you have to balance off the risk of a, a COVID virus and her her well-being yeah totally and and that's you know it, it is really hard and, I, and i'm i think the politicians have a terrible time yeah. trying so to it just about using common sense isn't it for everyone and making the decisions best for your family yeah but there's a giant but in there the cases in glasgow are in community transmission and the stories we've got about household parties are just they're just staggering they're just yeah. they're just unbelievable and you know i've got a first communion parties weddings baby showers and you get 40 people coming together and it's like what the hell are you doing mm -hmm. i think it's quite naive as well to think that the to have the students back it's a, a lot of the learning is online anyway and I suppose, like, for some courses, they will be very practically based. I would say, I don't know, like, maybe engineering or something like that, where it's maybe, like, hands-on. But I thought it was quite naive to think that students going back... That you would put 518-year-olds yeah, together exactly, like, in the one block of flats mm -hmm. that they wouldn't all have endless parties for yeah. three days. Mm -hmm. mm. I know, it's silly, it isn't it? It's a tough it? one, eh? Yeah, I know, it's just <laughs> mind-blowing to, to see why they're like that. They approved that in the first place, but hey ho, that's that's another story. Yeah, absolutely. Change days to when we were at uni, uh, was. I know. Do you good job? You guys were so mature, eh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what fresher week means. <laughs> <laughs> well, lastly, in your opinion, Maureen, for the, for the listeners, the teachers who are listening in, what what makes a high quality teacher then, in your opinion? A high quality teacher, someone who cares. Yeah, yeah, we get that a lot. I think, that's, I think, and and it is cares for them all, regardless. Mm -hmm. And it's it's much, you know, it's very easy thing to say, um, but it's it's really hard. I would never give any teacher a job unless they demonstrated clearly that they liked children. Yeah, and you have no idea the number of teachers that I meet that it would actually be on a cusp as to whether they like children or not. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and that's because maybe when they come into my office they're on the naughty step um but it is so fundamental isn't it that you have to love them you know love your children mm -hmm. it doesn't matter where they come from and you've got to i mean i, I just like i still miss being with young people i miss um getting to know them and watching them grow from the wee boys that came in in first year that I used to think I should just bring a box of cars from home and sit that on the desk and, <laughs> sit and play with their cars and um, while they were doing their maths to the lovely young men that were in fourth fifth and sixth year that as they left you know who then towered above me and, and were just lovely mm -hmm. um, I miss all that. I miss meeting families in the supermarket where they can tell me what the kids are doing now. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I'll ever not miss it. And when mm -hmm. I went back when I was teaching um, this summer, I just loved it. I just loved getting to know a group of young people and teaching them polynomials. <laughs> yeah, so it's just the, the positive energy you can get, isn't it, from oh. the interaction with them and hearing oh. and seeing them being successful and achieving. It brings so much oh. joy. Such good fun too. They are such a laugh. I know. It's so funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the amount, uh, even just with it, even if like the the ones that that get in your nerves and that, like some of the things that they come away oh, with, it's, it's hilarious. That is, it's funny. Yeah. Well, you do, and and that that learning for them to understand how they deal with different people um, across the school, and then how you learn as a teacher to react differently with different young people and, and how you set your boundaries with them and, and understand, you know, the older you get, the more that you can have a, a positive relationship with them, but there's a very clear teacher-pupil boundary mm -hmm. there. But you, you are teaching them so much more than just PE. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah thank so, you. Um, Thinking about contribution to criminal justice. That's what we are doing. That's mm. what we are doing in our schools, day in, day out. We are creating tomorrow's civic society. Yeah, yeah. That's ultimately what you're doing, isn't it? That's your, yeah. that's your responsibility. It's a fabulous job. That's why I love it. Yeah, it's yeah. Half fabulous. the things, half the things you teach them at the school in terms of your subject, and that they probably forget. But it's those, yeah. those life lessons and teaching them yeah. to be um, good civilians is, is ultimately yeah. what. Yeah, it's target with them, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you, yeah. You, you rounded that off nicely there then. So, Maureen, at the end of our podcast, we do a, wee fu uh, a fun wee three questions. It's a wee quick fire round. And it's um, just three quick questions for you just to, to finish us off then. So, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown, what would it say on it? Love your children. Brilliant. Would it be a hashtag? <laughs> Love your children. <laughs> Brilliant. Number two, what book or books have had the greatest influence on your life? Michael Fullan's books. Um, so I love him. He's an educationalist. Um, he's Canadian. And what he's so clever at is he produces all these books, makes a fortune from them. But they're really the same book, kind of rehashed over and over mm -hmm. and over again. But he's, um, because I'm a maths teacher, I'm a, a language isn't my thing. Um, so he writes very simply, he writes short sentences, so they're easily understood, and he has these really strong messages that come through. Um, so his, his, I, I really love his books, The Six Secrets of Change, um, yeah. that is a really good one. Michael Fullan, is that his name? Fullan, yeah, is that, is that on, it's, on, it's on leadership, isn't it? Yep. That, um, and you must have his email. To get him on the podcast, <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get it off you then. I'll get him off Twitter. <laughs> I see what that, you can that, do. That'd be, that'd be a good one. Right. <laughs> lastly, then number three, what advice would you give to a teacher about to enter the working world, or what advice should they ignore? Um, do your best. Um, focus on your core business. Mm -hmm. uh, stick to um, high quality learning and teaching and um, ignore um, the moans in the staff room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, it's really powerful. Absolutely. I'll tell you, I'll tell you little anecdote. When I moved to um, Kilsyth Academy, okay, they had three staff, no, four staff rooms, and um, 
One was, it was called Room 20, and it was the men's staff room. And I was hysterical with laughter because I had come from Grampian, which was very progressive, and uh, everybody was included. And uh, it was very, it, it, I was on first names with your head teacher and all that kind of thing. I came down to Strathclyde, and it was like something out the ark. And all these men went in, and they went into Room 20. <laughs> So when I got the job as principal teacher of maths, I brought three mugs. So I put a mug into the ladies' staff room, I put a mug into the PE base, and I had a, and I put a mug into the men's staff room. Um, and I would go into the men's staff room and just sit down, mm -hmm. make a cup of coffee, and they would all go, <laughs> couldn't work it out. And then they would all just sit and swear. <laughs> uh, just swore the whole time and I would say oh, so I'm really sorry guys no effect brought up with boys doesn't affect me in the slightest so, so they, they used to break my mug they would throw it in the bin and I would never say a thing I would just bring another one in and just put it in the cupboard <laughs> the funny thing was the way they had it set up was the staff room and then there was a little ante room and there was a toilet at the end and being men they put the urn right outside the toilet right so i would go in there do my coffee fill it up and there'd be men coming out the toilet and doing up there's like oh fuck, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then i would bring them in cakes and then i've got the ladies in too it's great so you, oh, so you, <laughs> so that's, that's, you managed to turn it around well what we did was we closed it yeah it was eventually closed you shouldn't have men's staff room because they all had their own seats there were a bunch of fronts and they just moaned about everything. They I were think, horrible. I think the, refer the refereeing definitely made you a resilient person. One of the other. I think yeah, I had anyway, but it worked. Yeah, so, yeah. It, sounds, it sounds as if you tried to kick, like, kind of kill them with kindness, like the way you went about <laughs> it, try to be kind as well at the same time. When I got when I when I got pregnant, they were even more horrified. If it wasn't insulting enough to have a woman in there, but a pregnant woman was just <laughs> worse. That just kept it over the edge. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Right, Maureen, well, thanks, thanks very much for agreeing to do this with us today. We are um, really sure this will help current teachers because it's we've certainly taken a lot from it, and we hope it kind of helps the next generation of teachers coming through. Great. So thanks very much for asking. What a great advice. Good thanks. luck. We're really grateful. No, that was great. Thanks, thanks very much, Maureen. Thanks. Good, to, good to chat. Each week after we have interviewed our guests, we always have our key takeaway messages from both the hosts. Very interesting episode there by Maureen McKenna, the Executive Director of Education for Glasgow. I thought um, she can want to share a lot of wisdom there, a lot of good points in relation to the kind of current situation we're in just now. Um, certainly took a lot from that episode. So what's your, your takeaway message today then, Clark? There was a lot of things that resonated with me, you know, she was very clear and transparent um, with her approach tonight. So that was uh, very beneficial for the listeners and for ourselves. Um, my key takeaway message would be um, with regards to the digital learning push in Glasgow City Council and I suppose across the country now with the current uh, pandemic. You know, I've been using a, a strategy called flipped learning with my, my National 5P class and Maureen touched on that as well. It's basically where you you give a task to your National 5 class via Google Classroom and um, they would do this sort of identifying and uh, almost like more than being a mass teacher, so you know what I mean by this, like doing their working. So they do their working at home, um, you know, bullet point notes on how they're going to answer the question effectively and how they're going to access top marks. They then come into the class and complete the task. So they do it straight away when they come in as part of the starter task. It's basically maximising the time they're spending with the teacher. So you're there to offer support to the the people who are struggling and the ones who are able to work away, they can work away on their own. So you're only working with a small group where you're doing some more individual teaching. So it's maximising the time. It's promoting them as well to be independent learners and take responsibility for the learning, not just in the classroom. And Maureen spoke about that as well, about all the learning doesn't just need to take place in the class. It can take place on... Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams in, in your instance, Lewis. Mm. So nice. the, pupil, the pupils in my class um, 
seem to enjoy, enjoy this approach because they know what to expect when they come in. It's structured and it's routine. They're not coming into anything off the cuff. Yeah. So they know what to expect and they say that that really helps them learning. Yeah. All anecdotal, of course, but... Yeah. And is it something you'll continue with? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I definitely will. Um, so... <laughs> so... <laughs> So right, serious, <laughs> serious face, let go. Come on, ask me my, my, my takeaway message. What's your key takeaway message tonight? Hey, I think it's just to kind of elaborate on what you were saying there about the kind of push for digital learning. I thought uh, Glasgow City Council are on the right tracks with the, the new kind of thing they're going to try when, if you've got a senior phase class, so say you've got a national class or a higher class first period, then Tell them not to come in in the morning. Do your, your learning through. Microsoft You're just saying that because you've got them on a Monday first. What's that? <laughs> An extra on bed. <laughs> no, I will be doing it from school. <laughs> in the library. Uh, exactly. Um, no, I think that's um, a great idea, to be fair. So I think it's something that we need to do with the, the pupils. We need to tell them that that's what we're going to try, just in case we do actually need to do that. In case mm-hmm. it actually happens again, we do end up in another lockdown or several pupils have to isolate for a set amount of times. Why can we not just do the learning online? Especially if it's a theory lesson, it can be done online. You could just do a video lesson or, like you said, you could do the flipped learning approach. You could give them the task to take home with them and then you mm-hmm. could conduct that through a video. Um, you could like even that. do like a, a Google Meet as well, couldn't you? Or the Screencastify? Aye. Aye there's, there's, there's loads of technology out there that you can, that you can use and I think... Um, I think that would be, I think that's a, a very forward-thinking idea. From, it's something, I think it's something we, we need to do ultimately, because again, making them more independent learners. Tony McDade also spoke about that as well. He says this has made the, the pupils, taught them to be more independent with their learning, and mm-hmm. I think that's what we need to kind of continue. It's always do. a positive. Absolutely. And that's actually it's quite nicely into our um, next episode, or two episodes away, is it? With uh, Dr Murray Craig from Edinburgh Uni on... Mm. Technology within PE and the curriculum for excellence, so it's all working out pretty well. Aye, there's definitely um, room to be creative with it, that's for sure, with all the technology and that that's out there nowadays. So, aye, but I think yeah, Molly was, was brilliant tonight. Thanks uh, for t- thank you for the time. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the refereeing chat at the start as well, some, some good stories in there. So, aye, that was good. She was very straight talking, didn't mince her words, and it was a a great episode full of wisdom. Definitely took a lot from it. So, yeah, thanks again for listening to another episode of the podcast. We are grateful for your time. And if you see us on Instagram, Twitter, give us a wee share or a, a retweet. As it, Again, it kind of helps us get the podcast out there so that others can get this content as well. And it's glad to see some of the feedback that people have been sharing with us and to see that it's been having a bit of a positive impact. Um, and the numbers are kind of being kind of consistent each week, which is, is great to see. So we'll continue continue doing it because at the end of the day, we do enjoy doing it. We enjoy sitting down, having these conversations, and it's something you can always you can listen to on the way to your work. Or, um, there's always good wee nuggets of information on there to help you. But I'm going to stop rambling now. And If you enjoy doing it, why, why stop? Exactly. That's it. <laughs> the spirit of we have a bit of everything will carry on. Absolutely. Until the next time. Have a fantastic week.